Yeah, let's open up to Matthew 5. We'll be wrapping up this chapter this morning, Lord willing. I appreciated that last song, Andrew. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. It came to mind as we were singing that. There's just nothing better than that. And I hope Jesus is your life song, guys. You know, things come and go, seasons change, but he's always faithful. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our rock, guys. He's our foundation. He's our everything. And it is good to praise him all the day long. It is. If you're going through it, man, turn your heart to him. Lift your eyes to him. Uh, it just brings everything into perspective. So this morning, uh, we're going to consider loving like Jesus together and what maturity looks like. Uh, let's pray quick. Father, we are grateful for your word. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount has been rich, and we're just thankful for your words. We're thankful for this brother of our, Matthew, who took the time to pen this gospel 2,000 years ago. And we just thank you, Father, for our opportunity here this morning to open your word to hear from you it is it is life lord it's exactly what we need so we just are asking we know your word's truth it can sanctify us father it can increase our faith so we want those ears to hear this morning and open hearts so holy spirit would you please just speak to us today we ask in your name amen, amen. so as we go through verses 33 to 48 here this morning in matthew 5 there are are not absolute commands, but they're illustrations here of loving one's enemies. How many of you guys find that hard to do sometimes? Okay, the rest of you are liars. We'll talk about that next week. Um, and dealing with others is one would desire to be dealt with. So these are stark, concrete examples of general principles of non-retaliation, impartiality, generosity, and graciousness. And I love that Jesus really gets to our hearts in this passage and really challenges our thinking, our attitudes. So the examples that he brings out here, they really are radical and thus intended to shock the audience. So this morning I see you going, Pastor! Did you really just read that from the Bible? Yes, okay? And I think this is so cool that Jesus spoke the way he did in this sermon. He did it on a, on a you know, really for his audience to make them consider the radical nature of really Jesus, his, his ethic, okay? He's God, and God, when he showed up in the flesh, really wanted people to rethink some things, especially when it came to religion and what God really desires for people. So they're, they're here. They're not intended to um, be applied unthinkingly. So each rule is balanced with scriptural commands. Just an example. We know Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24 says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Now God intended that to be a good thing. Okay, now wife, if your husband asks you to go murder somebody or tell a lie, do you do that? Well, then you're not submitting, right? No, again, I, we find in Colossians the same context of wives in chapter 3, verse 18. It concludes with the phrase, as is fitting to the Lord. So do you guys all understand that there are things in this life that we are to submit? There are going to be authorities over us, but if we're ever asked to do something that's unbiblical, do we submit to that? 
No, we need to do what is fitting, what is honoring, what we know God has asked us to do. So let's take a look here at verses 33 and on. Um, we're really going to see integrity is what God's looking for. He's going to talk to us about oaths and why not doing oaths is a good thing. Look at verse 33 again. You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Don't make oaths. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now, I know we covered this last week, but I want to just look at it again a little bit here. Swearing oaths to affirm uh, something that was said is true. Okay, As Christians, should be, people be able to trust us, right? We shouldn't be lying. Okay, We know the world is into lying because their father is who? The father of lies, Satan himself. Well, God has set us free. We are to be in the truth as he is in the truth, to be in that light. Spurgeon said this, A bad man cannot be believed on his oath, and a good man speaks truth without an oath. Our words are bond, right? Yes is yes, no is no. There's that integrity for the Christian. Well, pastor, what about in court? i got to swear on the Holy Bible to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. You know, should we do that as Christians? Should we go to court? Do we need to testify? Should we make an oath there? Well, I'm glad you guys asked that because we actually have a scriptural reference where Jesus would put under an oath that we find later in Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 and 64. I charge you under an oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say. Jesus himself took an oath. So there is a place in court to do that. But again, as a Christian, they should just take your word for it. Okay, I got to testify many times up in the jail on behalf of others as a character witness. And it carried a little bit of weight because the judges knew who I was, that I was a follower of Jesus Christ. And they would actually, my, my words carried some weight in the you know in testifying on others behalves in that because they knew know I was truthful um, some of the guys that would ask me to be truthful and come and you know share on their behalf I'm like you don't want me to do that you want to know what I really think <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know anyways but the point is guys um, we really need to be careful I, I want to share with you guys I think it's in the handout do I have the Bonhoeffer um, definition of what an oath is Dietrich said this he said it is an appeal made to God in public, calling upon him to witness a statement made in connection with an event or fact, past, present, or future. I like that. And then we have Moses. He said regarding performing oaths in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. You can jot that down. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Have you guys ever made a promise to somebody and like afterwards, like, bummer, <laughs> you know? I got all these other things that have come up, but I said I would do. 
I promise that was my word. And we just hold to it, even though it might cost us a little extra effort or whatever, we need to do it. So by letting our yes be yes and our no be no, this is a reminder that every single word that we utter, that we speak in his, it was really in his presence. Do you guys know that? He hears it all. And not only those words which are accompanied by an oath, God knows it all together. So one who always speaks truth, nothing but the truth, there's no need for an oath. Amen? So, practice truthful transparency. People should see that. Do you guys have people in life that you just know when you talk to them, you're getting the truth? They're not hiding anything? There's that transparency? I want to be like that. Don't you guys want to be like that? People can just trust you. That you have that character as a man or a woman of God that integrity for them to see that in absolute integrity rather than swearing oaths and taking vows you know and I often wonder when people swear like I swear by God and then they talk don't you guys always question when they say that beforehand it's just like or I'm telling you the truth like why do you got to preface that you, you say that and now I'm really gonna wonder you know it should just we should be able just to tell the truth and believe each other so Jesus taught that our conversation should be so honest and that our character, who we are, is so true that we would not need to use an oath to persuade people to believe us. So words really depend on character and oaths cannot uh, compensate for poor character. That's why being honest and truthful is so important, guys, especially with the people you love. Okay, Kids, your parents want to trust you guys. Don't lie. Just be honest. They love you. They're watching out for you. Okay? We get to be honest. We need to be. And parents, we need to do the same with our kids. You make a mistake, own up to it. Tell the truth. Be honest with them. All right. Enough on that. Let's go on. Do I have Proverbs 10:19 in your notes? Oh, good. In a multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So the more words a man uses to convince us, the more suspicious that we really should be. Let's look at uh, verse 38 on here. Um, it says, You have heard that it is said, or was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic or coat, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So in verse 38, we know the law was given. In the law, an eye for an eye, as administrated in the proper courts of law, it was founded in what? In justice. It's fair, right? You took my eye, I'm going to take your eye. This is what's just. And it worked fair, more equitably than more modern systems of fines. And think about that. If we were just fined for something we did, you know, for a rich person, they pay the fine, and that's just like a slap on the wrist. It didn't really cost them much. For a rich person, who cares? That $200 fine, that's nothing to me. So do you guys see where the justice then would be under the law in that way? This is the text or the lex uh, talias or the law of retaliation. Okay, it's from Exodus chapter 21, 
verses 23 to 25, where it says, but there is serious, or if there is serious injury, you are to take a life for a life and an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. Okay, so we find it in the law of God. Now, if you actually go back and read Exodus 21 there, the context is there a woman who is with child being hurt by men that were fighting. Okay, that's the context of it. So this is what's fair. It's not like, hey, I got in a fight and, you know, I lost my eyeball. (laughs) No, this is just, I'm a bystander. This thing happened. So the law really was put there to keep people from taking the law into their own hands. We all know Martin Luther King Jr. um, And I love that he took this phrase in the context and applied it to racial violence. He said, the old law, an eye for an eye, leaves everyone blind. You know, and that's all the law is going to do. You see, Jesus, and I love verse 39 here, he replaces the law with what? An attitude. So we got to look, what attitude does God want us to have? Well, be willing to suffer loss yourself rather than cause another to suffer. That's the, that doesn't sound fair, Pastor, but isn't this the heart of Jesus? Isn't this what he did? Wasn't this his example? And this is the attitude. Let this mind, which was in Christ, be in you also. Okay? So our first reaction really is to react, right? Well, you did me wrong. I'm going to get some revenge here. I want to get even because that's right and that's fair. Isn't that our tendency, guys, in our human nature? Absolutely. So we get our plans of vengeance in place. Well, the rights of the innocent were protected by the law, The righteous need not necessarily claim their rights. This is what Jesus is saying. Instead of retaliating, he would do the opposite. And he would commit his case to the Lord who will one day put everything in order, make everything right. So Peter, he gave this great example of Jesus in 1 Peter 1.23, who when he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Isn't that not a great example for you and I, brother and sister? Man, what did Jesus do? He committed it to the Lord, and he loved. So this non-resistance and forbearance are to be the general rule among Christians. Every single time, pastor? Okay, no. <laughs> Not every single time. Um, there are, are two where to endure personal ill usage without coming to blows. It's kind of like they're, um, they are to be anvils when a bad man, um, men are with hammers, let's say. Thus, we are to overcome, okay, this bad in the world, this evil in the world, the wrongs in the world by patient forgiveness. That's what God's asking us to do. Um, And there's times, guys, um, when there are things that are going on where we have to stand up and do what's right, you know? And for me personally, it's not my right, okay? I speak up a whole lot more often for the rights of others. And that God's given us that, man. Speak for those who can't speak for themselves. And there are times where things are just wrong (laughs) and we need to have a voice and we need to speak up. Okay, Um, 
Yet, I want you guys to understand how many regard this as uh, some fanatical, utopian, even cowardly, if we do this as Christians. I believe the Lord would have us to bear and to forbear and to conquer by mighty patience. Okay, this is his example. But it isn't natural. That's exactly the point, guys. It's supernatural. It's only God who's going to be able to help us to do that. Do you guys get this? That's what's so awesome about this passage of Scripture. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives empowering us to do this, how are we going to love in such a way? It is impossible. It is supernatural. So it is so unnatural, unnatural response that obeying it proves that we really belong to God. We're his kids. We are Christians. We're like Christ in that way. So turning the cheek actually puts one in control. Think about that. Someone comes, you know, slaps you across the face and you just turn the other cheek to them. You know, who's really in control in that moment? Think about that. So Gandhi, he read this verse about turning the other cheek, and he put it into practice. I don't know if you guys have read on Gandhi or know much about him. He really liked the teachings of Jesus, implemented them. He just couldn't stand Christians. And it's so sad. You know, isn't that sad? Like, Jesus is awesome, but his people, they're a little weird once in a while. You know, but it's, it's a bummer. I wish he would have came to saving faith. But he took a truth from God Almighty, and he applied it, and he inspired a whole nation to turn the other cheek when the British were coming against them. Um, and the British didn't know what to do. They kept trying to attack, and they weren't fighting back. Eventually, they just turned around and went back home. You know? And it's just one of those things. These principles of God's are so much better than ours. His ways are so much higher than ours. If we put those into place, okay, um, you know, it's going to work out for the good. But if you think about the reality of what God's laying out here, doesn't it take like the turning of the cheek? Doesn't that really take faith? It takes faith, guys. I'm going to believe you, God. Okay? It's going to take faith to stand and not to run. But the cool thing about love, doesn't love endure? And if we're called to love our enemies, we will endure. How many times do I need to turn the cheek? You know, I thought it was like, okay, once, twice, third time, you're in trouble, buddy. You know? But is that the heart of God? Okay, This love will endure. And it also means we'll have to suffer hurt. Okay? How many of you guys have suffered hurt in life? Yeah, it's part of it. And how many of you guys who suffered that hurt did God actually use in your life to grow you? Worked it out for good. Amen. Okay. So, it is the strong man who can love and suffer hurt at the same time. Do you guys get that? And does God want us to be strong? Have you guys ever read anything in the scriptures? Maybe in Joshua chapter 1, be strong, right? It actually tells us to be strong, be courageous. This type of faith, stepping out and doing his word, okay, that's going to be a big thing, but we may be hurt in the process. But it really is a weak man who thinks only of himself, and then what does he do? He starts hurting others to protect himself. At least that's what I've seen with people that are that way. They're just trying to protect themselves. Let's look at verse 40. Um, Jesus is just saying here, it's better to lose a you know, suit of coats than be drawn into a, a suit of law, right? Um, and then the verse 41, we have the Roman soldier. You guys know Rome was in power at this time. 
We had the Roman soldiers. If they asked you to go a mile, you'd have to go a mile with them. Help them carry whatever they were carrying. You had to help them out. Jesus says what? Go the second mile. Go out of your way. Be a light. Be a witness in that way. Verse 42, very simply, be generous. Don't be a miser, right? Be generous as Christians. Um, Has God been generous to us? Yeah. I mean, he's given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He's a giver, right? God for so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. We should be generous as believers. A miser is no follower of Jesus. Uh, discretion is to be used in our giving, okay, lest we encourage idleness and beggary. Uh, but the general rule is to give to him who asks. That's what we should do. Sometimes a loan may be more useful than a gift. Um, our spirit is to be one with readiness to help a needy by the gift or loan, and we are not likely to err by excess in this uh, direction at all. And how many of you guys have been asked just this last week, somebody was in need, just randomly like, hey, can you do this? A handful of you guys. It's one of those things, it doesn't always happen, but are we ready? Okay, are we willing and one of the big things is we really need to pray through, God, what would you have? Okay, I got a letter yesterday in the mail addressed to Fox Valley Jail Ministries, Chaplain Landon, pastor of Freedom Fellowship. You know, I open it up. It's a guy, I've, I don't know who he is. I never ministered to him in the jail. Wrote me a long letter of all his needs. I don't know how he got my home address. I've never ever gave that out. I was give, you know, the, 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 the jail's address or the church's address. But he's just a man in need. He doesn't have any friends, family. His mom just passed away. She was the only one that's been there for him in prison. You know, and there's some needs. He's going to be getting out in about a year from now. You know, I don't know how he got my name, but it's one of those things like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I don't think he's a brother in the Lord. He didn't mention anything about you, but he's asked, what do you want? And it's one of those things you just ask the Father, what do you want me to do in this instance? You know? And I just got the letter yesterday, but as I was praying for him again this morning, God's just putting it on my heart. Well, he's still in jail for a year. These other needs are there, you know. Maybe I am to help with those. But right now, I see a need for Jesus in his life because he has all these goals he shared with me about getting out, becoming a cook, being good, a part of society, giving back. But without Jesus, all that stuff's pointless. So I feel like right now, as this man's asking, his need is a spiritual need. So I might have another pen pal in the jail. <laughs> um, but you guys get the point. We just need to be ready. And I, I just encourage you guys, pray. Have, have discernment, but really ask God, what do you want in this situation? Now let's look at what love does, going beyond non-resistance in verse 43. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully, or spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same. Now, tax collectors are sinful people, right? In verse 47, he says, And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do the same. 
So let's consider hate your enemy for a second. What does that do when you have hate in your heart? I think it's kind of like a parasite, you know? A little bit of hate. It's kind of like that leaven or kind of like head lice. How many of you guys have had head lice before, right? You know, it just spreads like crazy. And your hate then spreads to everyone else who wears your hat. You know, it's just not a good thing. In Leviticus 19.18, listen to this verse. It says, Do not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So even back in the Old Testament, he's asking his people to love. You are to love. So it is a rabbinical inference towards outsiders, which Jesus repudiates bluntly. So the backstory here, okay, they considered their neighbor as only being those fellow Israelites. Are you a Jewish brother, sister? Okay, then we're good. Oh, you're a Gentile. No, sorry, dog can't, you know. Um, That's how they looked at this teaching. So Jesus, with a Jewish audience here, sharing this sermon on the mount this is pretty radical for these guys to hear hey you are to love your fellow israelite you know or a gentile maybe who's come to the jewish faith you know but anybody else not those samaritans especially and i love luke chapter 10 you guys know the story of the good samaritan the questions asked to jesus who is my neighbor and he lays out a phenomenal parable okay it's like hey the Samaritan, the, the worst ones in your eyes, guys, he's a neighbor. He showed what real love, compassion, kindness looks like. So Jesus here really destroys the distinction between neighbor and enemy altogether. Okay, Jesus is the first to draw these commands together of love God and love your neighbor. Okay, we don't see that put together in the Old Testament. Jesus brought those two together into this beautiful symbolic uh, relationship okay for us so the sum the togetherness the bias living together so we see that in scripture and out of the old testament it also taught us to love our enemies proverbs 25 21 if your enemy is hungry what are we to do give him food to eat and if he is thirsty give him something to drink Right? We're also told in Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5, if you meet your enemy's ox and his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. And if you see a donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. So we even see God's heart coming through. Hey, you're to love even your enemies. So in Jesus' time, their question wasn't how to treat a neighbor, but really, who is my neighbor? And that's why the Good Samaritan is point on, okay? Who is your neighbor? I don't know this guy. You know, everybody else is just ignoring him, you know? It's just anybody. See, anybody in need, that's your neighbor. Um, Verse 44 is good. If you guys have the NIV, it omits this part. It's not in the Nestle all-in text, but it's believed to be inserted from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. Um, either way, it was inspired because <laughs> it's in the scriptures. Anyways, um, so we're not merely uh, to cease to hate and then abide in cold neutrality. I see a lot of people do that. Oh, I've forgiven. I just don't talk to them anymore. 
Is that God's heart? Is God in the business of reconciliation? That's his heart, guys. So, he wants us to be in that place, but that we would love where hatred seemed inevitable. So here, love, this word love, it's the first time it comes up in the Sermon on the Mount. So we should probably pay attention, okay? (laughs) Jesus is getting to the point here. It really is the theme of the entire sermon that he gives here, of the whole thing, is love. It sums it up beautifully. So the only way to overcome your enemy is by what? Loving him. Pretty simple, right? It sounds simple, but is it easy to do? No. That's why we need God's help. Okay? And if we're not in a love relationship with him, receiving that love, how are we going to pour out? You guys understand? That's where that empowering comes from. So Jesus defines our enemies as those who curse us, hate us, and exploit us selfishly. Did you guys catch that there? Those are our enemies. How many of you guys have enemies? Okay, some of you guys got two hands up. All right. Since Christian love is an act of will and not simply an emotion, he has the right to command us to love our enemies. I just don't feel like loving him. He's really hurt me. And he keeps doing it. He keeps talking about me behind my back. You ever have that happen? Yeah, but God says what? You love your enemy. It's not based on how you feel. Love's a verb, right? It's an action. We're getting divorced because we fell out of love. You know? I don't like when people fall in love. That means you can fall out of love. Again, we were talking about oaths before. There's vows at marriage. Hey, I'm choosing to commit my life to you, to do life with you, no matter what, until death do us part. Okay? That's a choice. Today, you might not feel like you're in love with your spouse, but you choose to love them. And if you choose to love them, to pray for them, guess what? Those feelings normally follow. Amen? All right. Um, What verse are we on? Oh, let's talk about the act of will for a second. Um, the, the sincere Christian love, okay, it's going to be an act of your will. It's just something you choose to do, okay? Not simply an emotion. He has the right to command us then to love. Um, so how do we do this? How do we show this type of love? I'm glad you guys are asking these type of questions of me this morning because I'm going to tell you what Jesus told us. By blessing them. Did you guys catch that? That's how you love them. You bless them. It's by doing good for them and by what? Praying for them. I think that's probably the biggest heart changer is praying for somebody. You have a hard time with somebody. You know, I know God's told me to love them. I'll just go buy them some M&Ms in the name of Jesus. (laughs) No, pray for them. Okay, how many of you guys would testify that when you pray for somebody, God really changes your heart for them? Yeah, yeah. God uses prayer. That's why we're called to pray continually. We're in that spot. He will change your heart, guys. Uh, Jesus is calling us not just to do good things for our enemy, like greeting them and helping supply their needs. He's also calling us to want their best. Your enemy, do you want their best? And to express those wants in prayers when the enemy is nowhere around. 
So our hearts should want their salvation and want their presence in heaven and want their eternal happiness. So we pray like the apostle Paul prayed for his own brethren. His heart's desire and his prayer to God was like, hey, these guys who are persecuting the Christians, (laughs) that they would be saved too. Do you guys have that heart? Do you pray in that way? Or are you like, oh, I'll love on them, but I'm glad they're not a believer because I know where they're going. Is that the heart of God? God's heart's none should perish. He doesn't want to see anyone perish. Our heart should be wanting them to come to salvation, to love them in such a way. Why do we have brothers and sisters who are willing to go to the Middle East, to these countries that are hostile if you are a Christian, willing to lay down their lives? Because they understand what it is to love your enemy. Their heart's desire is the same heart of their heavenly fathers. I'm going to love. We need to be praying. So what if they don't respond rightly to this? Well, bless them. Do good to them. Pray for them. Guys getting it? Good. So remember that love asks nothing in return but seeks those who need it. Okay? And we're called to love. I've been loving them, doing this, doing that, praying. What are they doing for me? Praise God. Because genuine love is going to keep loving (laughs) despite what they do. Amen, mom and dads? Don't you guys just love your kids? Yeah. doesn't matter. I mean, it's nice when they give back, love back. (laughs) But if it's not there, you still love them. You still pray for them. So who needs love more than the one who is consumed with hatred for us? So who, in other words, deserves our love more than our enemy? Where is love more glorified than where she dwells in the midst of her enemies? But it isn't natural, exactly, because it's what? Supernatural. So I love this, guys. Consider verse 44. This is a great verse for marriage counseling, lamers. Jot this down, okay? You can apply it there as you guys have friends who are maybe having a hardship in marriage. Great verse. Look at verse 45. Jesus lists a response for this admonition. It says that you may be sons of the Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain to the just and the unjust. Okay? So it is godlike. Uh, verse 45 here, the Father shares good things with those who oppose him, correct? Doesn't God still love the world even though the world is anti-God? Yeah, he still loves, he still gives rain, sunshine. <laughs> the Father is so gracious, you know, and I think it's good just to take some time and step back, you know, allow just the scripture alone to really speak to your heart like, wow, God, despite this world that is in rebellion, we're fallen, we're sinful, You are still gracious. You are still kind. So, and then we have the testimony of others. Look at verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the text collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So Spurgeon said, even a dog will salute a dog. (laughs) Think about that for a second. Okay, so what do you do more than others? Okay, it's really a good question. I think we really should ask ourselves this. 
So to the whole subject of this Christian love, okay, ask yourself the question. Again, God expects us to live on a much higher plane than most of the people in the world who return good for evil and evil for good, right? And as Christians, we must return good for evil as really an investment of love. So love is a mark then as we wrap this up in verse 48 of maturity. This is what God wants for his church. He wants us to be mature. Okay? And we see that admonition given over and over in Scripture to grow. Um, this really proves that we're sons of the Father who does the same. right? Romans 5.8 again, when we were yet sinners or his enemies, he died for us. Great example. So let's talk about maturation for a second, which really is that action of maturing. Okay? Teleos is a word. It means totality, whole, without blemish, fully developed, matured mentally in moral character, full development, growth into maturity and godliness. This is what he's talking about. He wants us to grow up. Some of us may be in the same place we were when we first got saved. We haven't really grown in Christ. We're still babies. You know, and I think that's kind of funny when you think about a person who should be an adult or maybe a teenager. You know, if you're still crawling around on diapers, spiritual diapers, wouldn't that be ridiculous? Yeah, we are to grow. And that's what I love about Christianity. You know, we are given the Holy Spirit. We've been given much. I know some people that go back to that mentality. Hey, I like what Jesus says. I just don't like his people. Thus, I won't go to church any longer. Well, God tells us not to forsake the assembling together because of the deceitfulness of sin. We come under the authority of older brothers and sisters who care for our souls, who love us, who are going to be there to speak into our lives, to teach us the word, to pray with us. That is so important that we can grow. And I've seen so many people come to faith. And those that have really grown and become fruitful are those that have put themselves in that place. I'm going to keep seeking. Even though it's hard and God's going to ask me to do a lot of changing in my life, <laughs> I trust him. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to follow him. And in that, you begin to grow. So full development really is what he's getting at. So we spiritually don't grow all at once, just like we would do physically. So first we're babies, then a child, then an adult, then adults. So be adults, be grown up, be mature in the areas that we've discussed here. So it's moving from ignorance, which really would be that baby stage, to that self-centeredness stage, which we could call that child stage. It's all about me. I want to be happy right now. Okay, To that next stage where you go to that God and other centeredness, that would be young adult, let's say. And then there's that intentionality or you have a strategy. And that's a parent stage. Okay, So maturity is... Uh, to me, is when a person moves from church and their Christianity being all about them to being in a place of, hey, I, I'm, I'm enjoying serving God's church, his brothers, your brothers and sisters, appreciating um, the worship song selection, getting ministered to, you know, in that place of getting, 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 where when you mature, it's not about what I get, what's being played, what programs we have to, hey, I want to serve the Lord. How can I love my neighbor? How can I serve my church family? 
So the identifying them then really is finding your gifts. What has God given you that will edify the body? You guys understand that? We're all part of a body. We all have unique gifts. We're to be working together. It's not, hey, I come to get, get, get. No, we are to mature, to grow, to work together. So them doing their all to make sure others are getting something out of service. So there's a lot of practical ways to serve. You know, nursery. We got a couple of babies. Wouldn't it be really cool to give mom a break for an hour? You know, it could be as simple as that. So parents can take in a message without a distraction or giving your times, your talents, your treasures, whatever those things may be, using those to love others, to serve others. So them really then connecting to God and others and not waiting for someone to connect to them. Okay, a lot of people, I just haven't connected. I'm leaving the church. <laughs> I haven't connected with anybody. Well, have you ever come to, to a small group study where you actually can get real and intimate? Have you been to a prayer meeting where you get to share with one another and lift up one another? Have you put yourself out there? I, I don't like going to retreats. You know, I'm kind of shy. I want to keep to... You got to put yourself out there, okay? Some people are waiting, and it's never going to happen that way. It goes both ways in that regard. So being mature. Another thing I see, too, is self-feeding. Some people, oh, I go to a good Bible church. Pastor does all the work. He's going to tell me what I need to know. No, a mature Christian self-feeding. Why? Because we're all called to mature, to grow up in the faith. You ought to be teachers by now. And that's what I love about our fellowship. A lot of you guys are leading home studies. You're going into the jails. You're counseling with others biblically because you have it. You know it. But that's something God wants us all. Well, some of you guys might be newer in the Lord. You're learning the word. That's great. Keep self-feeding because let me tell you what, you'll be here a long time on Sunday mornings for, what, 45 minutes every week (laughs) before you're able to get really grounded. The whole counsel of God is very important. We need to be doing that ourselves. So get in to that regular discipline of studying the scriptures. Um, And then really moving on from just doing to uh, being. So the the deciding there's the yes means yes and the no means no. The turning of the cheeks, the suffering themselves to be defrauded, to the going the second mile, them giving loans, um, or giving or the loans to those who are in need, them loving their enemies, and not just their friends. You guys seeing all this here? Okay? So it's really being a blessing. It's doing good. It's praying for not so nice people. I mean, this is how mature Christians are going to live. They're going to be doing what Jesus has laid out here before us this morning. It's pretty simple. You know? We want to make it more or less than this. We're missing it. Okay? It's just, it's profound, but it's simple. Wouldn't you guys say yeah, so maturity's mark is embolized upon one who is growing and, re- and not remaining stagnant in their faith life. So just test yourself. Have you grown in Christ in the last three months, six months, last year? Are you growing in Christ? These things that Jesus has laid out, are you growing in these areas? It's a simple yes or no, Right? And if it's yes or no, you guys need to see what it is and then make the changes that are necessary. So wrapping this up, guys, it's the moving from being needy, from seeing all what I can get, to noticing that there are others whom I can serve. 
Didn't Jesus come to serve and not be served? We're to follow him. And the cool thing is I talked about last night or last week, it doesn't matter how old you are. I know we got some of the older kids in here. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter how old you are. You could be in service to Christ. Do you know that? We can serve Christ right where we're at. We all have neighbors. Our neighbors could be a schoolmate. Neighbor could be legitimately the guy across the street. <laughs> you know, It's those people where you see need. It could be the guy that we see holding a cardboard sign saying he's in need. You know, what do you do with that? So we got to be in that place of being ready to serve. So the final and real act of maturity is one who comes alongside someone. I want you to catch this. Comes along someone and disciples them. It's actually helping them to learn how to, from their, you know, really form their life around Christ. We're called to make disciples. That's why we're here. That's the Great Commission. Go make disciples. Mature Christians are doing that. So ask yourself, are you personally discipling someone right now? So love like Jesus. Minister grace to all people like Jesus. They are parenting new believers, and they are mature disciples. Well, I don't know if I'm at that point. Then you need to get discipled. There's a lot of things going on here. There's people that would love to get together with you, pray with you, get into the Word with you. That's how God's designed it. That's how it works. We follow Christ, and we point others to Christ. Pretty simple stuff. Amen?